Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 179 of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be the readings for Friday uh, of the first week of Advent. The readings for Friday of the first week of Advent. So, um, let's begin... um, with, um, since we can't say the Gloria or anything, um, well, let's begin with, um, the, uh, Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision. Christe Elision, Christe Elision, Christe Elision. Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision, Kiri Elision. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Entrance Antiphon. Behold, the Lord will come, descending with splendor, to visit his people with peace, and he will bestow on them eternal life. Behold, the Lord will come, descending with splendor, to visit his people with peace, and he will bestow on them eternal life. Behold, the Lord will come, descending with splendor, to visit his people with peace, and he will bestow on them eternal life. Stir up your power, we pray, O Lord, and come, that... With you to protect us, we may find rescue from the pressing dangers of our sins, and with you to set us free, we may be found worthy of salvation who live and reign with God, the Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, the first reading is from Isaiah. Chapter 29, verse 17 to 24. On that day, the eyes of the blind shall see. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord God, But a very little while, and Lebanon shall be changed into an orchard, and the orchard be regarded as a a forest. On that day, the deaf shall hear, and the words of a book, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The lowly will ever find joy in the Lord, and the poor rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the tyrant will be no more, and the arrogant will have gone. All who are alert to do evil will be cut off, those whose mere Word condemns a man who ensnares his defender at the gate and leave the just man with an empty claim. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of the house of Jacob, who redeemed Abraham. Now Jacob shall have nothing to be ashamed of, nor shall his face grow pale when his children see the work of my hands in his midst. They shall keep my name holy. They shall reverence the Holy One of Jacob to be in awe of the God of Israel. 
Those who err in spirit shall acquire understanding, and those who find fault shall receive instruction. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, the uh, Psalm 27 in response is, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. One thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Okay, one more time. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. One thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Alleluia, alleluia. Behold, our Lord shall come with power. He will enlighten the eyes of his servants. Alleluia, alleluia. Behold, our Lord shall come with power. He will enlighten the eyes of his servants. Alleluia, alleluia. Okay. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 to 31. Believing in Jesus, two who were blind are cured. As Jesus passed by, two blind men followed him, crying out, Son of David, have pity on us. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they said to him. Then he touched their eyes and said, Let it be done for you, for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread word of him, sp spread word of him through all the land. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. As Jesus passed by, two blind men followed him, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord. They said to him, Then he touched their eyes and said, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And they were uh, you know, uh, their eyes were opened, and Jesus warned them, sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread word of him through all the land. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Okay, so how do we interpret these readings? Well, the first part in Isaiah, it mentions Lebanon changed into an orchard. Um, and the orchard be regarded as a forest. Now, why? Why this attention to Lebanon? And the best, the best I could think of, um, what brings my memory to is the uh, the tragic incident with the bell worship that was brought in by uh, the princess slash slash priestess Jezebel, who was married to King Ahab. Israel split into two after Solomon. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Ahab had an arranged marriage, uh, possibly done by his father, with the royal family in Phoenicia, which is Lebanon. And this alliance uh, caused an unfortunate tragedy. Uh, when Jezebel came... Uh, into her marriage in union with Ahab, she brought with her her, um, her her bell worship. She was an activist. Her mission was to convince these, these strange people who worship one God with all these different rules, uh, 613 laws, to um, into worshiping Bell. And this required child sacrifice. This part about the orchard and the orchard will be seen as a forest will be will be regarded as a forest comes to my mind that the fact that the israelites were willing to give up their fruit of their of their wombs which is their children and it also later on mentions abraham in the, the text We'll, we'll get to that. Um, and then he goes on to say, the deaf shall hear and the, wor and the, uh, the words of a book. And out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. And the lowly will ever find joy in the Lord. Now, of course, it's pointing to uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the miracles that Jesus will definitely perform, and they are real miracles. But this is also talking about those who are deaf in a metaphor, in a sense, deaf, deaf spiritually to the word of God. Because remember, the fact that the Israelites chose to willingly give up their children, that they were spiritually deaf to the word of God. They were spiritually deaf like they did, they chose not to hear. And then those who were blind, I mean, those who were um, uh, uh, the blind uh, out of the gloom and darkness, gloom and darkness is technically spiritual. Uh, uh, you are spiritually dead. You are spiritually lost. The eyes of the blind will see. Now, uh, technically one who is, spiritually deaf 
and spiritually blind is a, is a, it's more deaf and more blind than actual literal person who's deaf and blind because someone who is spiritually deaf and spiritually blind has no love in their heart has no uh no love for for God no love for neighbor in their heart that's what you know uh actually it's a lot worse than a literal deaf or blind person and this is this is true um the lowly will ever find joy in the lord and the poor rejoice in the holy one of israel those who are meek and humble remember think of the the sermon on the mountain blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who are um you know like the the um the who are seek after justice for they shall find uh, they shall find justice it's talking about people who really you know, who, those who willingly who who see that they are dependent on God, who see they are who know they are poor and they are need, and they need God, then it goes on to say that for the tyrant will be no more, and the arrogant will have will have uh, will have gone. All who are alert to do evil will be cut off. Um. Now it's interesting. The tyrant will be no more, and the arrogant will have gone. It almost reminds me of the Magnificat, the words in the Magnificat, uh, you know, of Mary's words, you know, uh, the, you know, the rich will be sent away empty or hungry and, you know, the, the pride will be brought down. Um, then he goes on to say, and those who are alert to do evil will be cut off. Those who live by evil, those who live and feed and get and, and and get satisfaction from evil who are constantly looking for an opportunity to rule it all, to rule over others will be will, will be cut off they'll be cut off from salvation they'll be cut off from god um those who those whose mere word condemns a man those who are looking to condemn anybody looking to 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 deny justice to anybody who ensnare his defender at the gate um the gate at the entrance of the city the gate the entrance of the kingdom the gate is always now the gate can also be the gate of one's heart because one heart is dead uh, it's interesting when I was just reading uh, Genesis and I was reading about the part where God warned Cain. Why is you? Why are you downcast? If you did well, you did well. If you haven't done well, do well next time. Be be you know be warned. Sin is at the door, crouching. And usually the text goes on to say, "You must master it, or it will master you." Basically, it was a very good advice because the door was the door to his heart, the door to his soul, the door to his will, the door to his mind. The very place where you have to be always alert. And he already killed his brother in his heart. Evil, he already allowed sin to enter his heart. And he already killed his brother in his heart. Basically, if we are tempted, tempted to do some kind of evil, real evil, 
you already had to have committed. Remember, Jesus said, one who looks at an another woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. That's true. So you have to be alert. If you've done it already in your heart, if you're in your heart, I will sleep with this woman. I will stay, you know, take her. I will, you know, I will have an affair with her. I will cheat on my wife. I will, she, you know, and I will also cheat on my best friend. You already committed, you already, you already broke the law. And you should always be alert. I, you know, that you know that you are aware of how much evil you will commit, how much evil we will all commit. It's not, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm not looking to commit to condemn anybody, but one, we have to look at to condemn ourselves first. We have to be ready to judge ourselves. And I was listening, like, uh, what someone said the other day. You know how people say, well, you're only human. <laughs> That's actually not true. Sin was never to be part of our lives. We weren't created for sin. We were created for good. Sin actually holds us back from being human. To be truly human is you know, is to have no evil in our lives. We were, we were meant, we were made for perfection. To be made in the image and likeness of God does not include sin. Does not include sin. Free will, but sin is not being free. It, that is not part of, that is not part of the plan. Where We were never meant to be, um, to be evil. And when people say that, you actually are committing an injustice. You're actually pronouncing an injustice on, on, on ourselves because we were meant for good, not for evil. All right. Um, going on from there. Okay, yeah. So, um, okay, we ensure, who, who ensures his defender at the gate and leap the just man with an empty claim, meaning uh, a, a mispronouncement of justment, of justice, an actual like kangaroo court. You willingly, um, in other words, it's a fixed, a fixed trial to deny justice where justice is needed. Um, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of the house of Jacob, who redeemed Abraham, Abraham, because Abraham came out of pagans. Abraham came out of what today is uh, Mesopotamia, Iraq. Um, and Abraham left his land, left his home, left everything, and went to a new land, a different place, took his family. And then, you know, Abraham, when he came here, when we, that's just the part we get here, remember where God told him, asked Abraham to take your son, your only son, Isaac. And sacrifice him to me. And interesting to note, of course, this is a, a prefiguration of the birth of, of the death of Christ. Abraham um, took his son. Now, what 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 came to that point that God would ask him to do this? Abraham must have watched the the people of Canaan sacrifice their children to Moloch. Moloch actually is just another version of Baal. It's again a a um, a, cow, a a figure with uh, a human figure with a 
head of a cow, and cow meant prosperity, cow meant riches, you know, you have a source of milk, they produce milk. So the idea was to sacrifice these their children so that they could have a good harvest, a good abundance. Abraham must have come to a point where he might have, I guess, this is my this is me putting an image in my head of what possibility could have led God to meet Abraham at that point. What what was Abraham's mind and thought? That God, this, this is what God waited for the opportunity. Because for Abraham to come to think why they would sacrifice their children to God. But God has always asked me to sacrifice animals. And what's the difference? And then finally God wanted him to come to know. Because he, he wanted him. I, I, this is how I see it. That it was a moment of an opportunity for Abraham to spiritually mature. <laughs> to spiritually mature. And maybe he wondered, would God ever ask me to sacrifice my son? My only son. When he gave me this son, an opportunity came where God put him to the test. These people were willing to sacrifice their children to an idol that can't give life and cannot even give you the harvest and he wanted him to realize that I have the power of life and death I can create life and I can take life and I can give life back to come to this conclusion for Abraham to contemplate these people sacrificing their children to a stone image or a wood card image or a painted image to make to, to get him to come to the conclusion, to realize that he truly is God of creation. He created the heavens and the earth and he created all life. He gave, he gave life to a womb like Sarah where she couldn't bear children. And even though God asked him to give up his first son, Ishmael, to send him off into the desert where he could take care of him, in a sense, that was a sacrifice. When you think about it, that was a that was literally a sacrifice. And then now, come to this moment where he was about to about to 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 perform human sacrifice. Abraham had to, if he really wanted to obey God at that moment, the true God, not that God needed human sacrifice, but he wanted Abraham. To come to a realization, a revelation, that he is not a pagan idol. He is not like them. He can true. He doesn't need any kind of sacrifice. But what he does require was was faith. He demands faith, and faith to have, to live with God to have this relationship with God is a relationship with God a deep intimate relationship a complete total complete surrender and a real a revelation that he is above all the material world and he is above pagan idols but faith for him is not just um 
an empty shell obedience, but it's a deep inner faith of a relationship that's required. For Abraham, this was a revelation, a complete tonal revelation, who this God is. And a relationship, a, a revelation of a relationship, a, a true, intimate, love, life relationship. And that's what, that was, that's what it was required about this. And, you know, that's why I think, it, it, you know, it's, it mentions him, the God who redeemed him. Now Jacob shall have nothing to be ashamed of, nor shall his face grow pale when his children see the work of my hands in the midst. The 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 future generation shall benefit should benefit from the from the faith and the relationship with God. They shall keep my name holy. They shall reverence the holy one of Jacob, and be in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in spirit shall acquire understanding, and those who find fault shall receive instruction. I'm 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 honestly I believe this is, is talking about the gospel. What else is talking about the gospel? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to the psalm. Now, Psalm twenty-seven is definitely a psalm of it's it's a psalm of confidence, a complete faith in God, a complete trust in Him as your Savior. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? Light is God navigating you and guiding you through uh, darkness. And he is your savior. He will guard you through all darkness of evil. Evil instruction, evil, evil intent. And he will... Um, save you from those misguided things the lord is my life's refuge of whom should i be afraid meaning he will keep you from evil that could kill you spiritually and evil that can lead you to not just physical death but spiritual death and uh, he's your refuge he will protect your soul from those from those po spiritual poisons and he shall also keep you from fear that they have, because fear can sometimes lead to doubt, um, doubt of um, of God's of God's power, God's uh, saving power. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate His temple. Um. To dwell in the house of the Lord, to be always under his shelter, his cloud of protection, his tent of protection, to always be there, to be in his presence uh, all the days of your life, meaning not just this life, but the life to come, uh, that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. Gaze and lovely, uh, gaze, uh, gazing. Is kind of, it is kind of in a sense contemplating, meaning to, to, 
to be in a happy state at the moment. Contemplation, sometimes I've, I've come to the conclusion that it's like the line is very blurry between meditation and contemplation. But meditation can sometimes be taken as study. And contemplation means enjoying the moment. In a sense, gazing. In a sense, reverencing. To reverence, to revere the moment. To stay in the moment of complete spiritual euphoria knowing that god is in your life that your life that you give your life to him and that you are always you you know you enjoy and you like you know how sometimes people i guess you can say when they try good real chocolate they're just like in a state of heaven yeah they often describe it all right all right um go then this one here I believe that I shall I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and uh, with courage, be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. Um, I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living, meaning eternal life, heaven, eternal life, the life to come. Wait for the Lord with courage, be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. Patience and prayer. Patience in prayer, patience, complete patience in prayer, not always know that God will answer you in his own good time when he knows it's right, not when we think it's right. This, this is, this is, you know, basically how to, how to read these words, uh, how to really interpret them. And I think it's important that we do it this way. There's always, I mean, you don't have to be an expert as people always seem to think to read scripture. It's actually to study scripture and read it. You can even bring, have a dictionary. And also it's always good to read the, if you can get books on the church fathers, because they, they read scripture as with metaphor, with a little philosophy. You know, I mean, that's why reading is always good because you can always remember things, keep a note, uh, a journal or something, write things down. Uh, head, put titles on them and, and write them down. It's not that hard. You know, it's also on your, now in an age like this with Kindle, with YouTube and with podcasts, we can learn a lot. I was listening the other day, Dr. Jordan Peterson talked in with uh, Jonathan Prugo and there was another gentleman there, which I haven't um, gotten his name yet, but it was also with Bishop Robert Barron. And they were talking about why Jordan, Jordan Peterson was saying why his podcast or his uh, study on Genesis, on the Bible, certain parts of the Bible, became an unbelievable hit with people. He He's not a pastor. He's not a theologian. He's not a minister. He's a psychiatrist, and he approached it from a psycho, psychological perspective. But he pretty much was going through it um as a layman and he went through the metaphors and 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 allegories and interpretations all from his own study of this what he called a remarkable book which is the bible it is and it's also a very difficult book but it's not like he really in a sense like he brought it to people who may have had fear of reading the bible but he actually shed light yes he didn't know anything about the theological parts, but he went to the meaning. Why is it written in this way? Why are the words framed in this way? 
Uh, and, you know, there's a big difference between some people who are like literal interpreters. And if you go just focusing on literal interpretation, and there is a level of literal, literal interpretation, but there's, but the literal interpretation, you're only short, you're, you're only short, um, changing yourself. You're cheating yourself because there's, there's meanings to it. There's mean, there's hidden layers of meaning The the creation story, um, some people want to believe, yes, it's a six day creation, but does God really just need six day? Why six days? Why not six nanoseconds? Right? Six nanoseconds. Does he really need literally six days? I mean, if he's God, does he need, do days even mean anything to him? Does he even need a day to be God? Does he literally need 24 hours? Does he really need two days? Does he really need three days? Does he really need four does he really need five? Then you have to ask yourself, is there another God who needs no time, no day, not even a second to create the whole world? That's, that's what I'm saying. You can't, you know, that's why when it comes to really believing in God, do you really need to say he needs a day? And if he's a God who needs a day or two days to six days, then is there a God out there that, that greater than him that needs no day? Is there something else he's trying to say to us in this language of six days of creation? Is he saying something to us through the author? That's, you see, there's a difference between a literal interpreter and someone who, who believes in God and knows that there's more to the language of the text. There's, there's layers of important meaning there. And this, the reason why for some people, for the church fathers, because Augustine didn't really believe he needed time. See, I'm just, I'm just trying to explain it. Augustine himself, when he was asked, what did God do before uh, before the time of creation. And Augustine responded, nothing. He needed no time. And Augustine was trying, wasn't trying to be sarcastic about it. He was simply saying that, think deeply. He needed no time. He just decided to choose. He gave us the time. We need the time. Not him. There's a difference there. So coming to the gospel <clears throat> passage here. Okay. Two, as Jesus was passing, two blind men followed him crying out, son of David, have pity on us. Now it could be translated. I don't like the word pity because I've seen translations where it says have mercy. Now maybe the Greek can be translated as mercy and pity. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, in some cases you, you should go for the stronger word, which is mercy, because they're, they're, they're asking, these are two blind men. Now, why are there two blind men? Why is Luke focusing on two blind men on this text? 
and I believe it was possibly somewhere in Jericho this happened. The two blind men, um, I'm wondering if they represent the two tablets of the law or they represent the sinners both in the Old and New Testament. Now, I'm, I'm looking at it in a sense because they're, they're two blind men and the question is, why two? And could they represent, in a sense, the Sadducees and the Pharisees who are both blind to the fact of who Jesus is? Um, and, you know, do they open one, doesn't one, in a sense, do they represent the Jews and the Gentiles who are both need of salvation, who both have need of God? the Jews and the Gentile world could be that too. It doesn't really say that to us, but it says to men when he entered the house, the, the blind men approached him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? Enter the house. Now, and they said they, they approached him. What house? Um, is it a rented apartment that Jesus and the apostles are using? Maybe. But in this case, it could be the house of the, of the soul of the two men. The house of the mind of the two men. He could enter our house and we're, and he's asking us, do you believe this in our own conscience and our own being? That, so, that's a good question, right? I mean, we have to ask that question. Whose, whose house is it? It's it's probably our house. It's the house of the of the two blind men, their own, their own inner being, right? Jesus is entering our house. Remember when he, in uh, in the Gospel of John, when he gave his mother. That's another interesting uh, factor here. He, he remember he said he didn't leave us orphans, but that's a different subject. He he gave us a father, and then he gave us his the last thing he had in his life, his mother. Now, and it says John says he took her into his house. That means into your life, into the house, uh, into the house of your life, not the literal house, but the house to our soul, to our mind, to our heart, to our inner being. He approached these men. Do you believe I can do this? And they said, yes, Lord. They said to him. Then he touched their eyes and said, let it be done for you according to your faith. According to your faith. In other words, there's no doubt about that he could do this. But do, you, do we believe according to our, to our own faith? To our own, the strength of our faith, and and they and their eyes were opened. Jesus warned them sternly. This is how I always found this very interesting. He warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. How is everybody not going to know about this if everybody knew they were blind? 
It's very strange that he would say this to them. And I think Jesus knows that this is almost, this is impossible. He knows this is impossible because Jesus always does this. And you kind of catch on that he knows this is impossible because everybody's seen these two guys walk around probably like one hand on the other guy's shoulder and they're walking around with, with canes. And now they're going to be seeing the two of them walking around without, you know, needing any guidance or anything and not having, not touching the wall, trying to figure out if they're, if they got to any particular step where they don't have to fall and, you know, break a bone or something like that. And they're not standing there holding a cup in their hands, uh, begging for coin, begging for some, from, for some charity. It's, it's going to be impossible if everybody in town knows, have seen these two guys begging. And so it's kind of interesting. He always does this, you know, after a miracle. Uh, and then they went out and spread the word of him through all that land because people are going to be asking him, hey, how did you guys get your eyes, you know, your, your sight back? And in a sense, really, I think you can't keep it a secret because if they truly, truly are happy and appreciative what he did for them. You can't keep it a secret. Jesus's mission is not to be kept a secret. He knows this. It's according to their faith. If they truly are happy and appreciative what God has done for them, they have to tell the whole world. It's really in a sense, I don't think Jesus is really saying to them, don't tell this to anybody because he knows he has to be made known. People have to know who gave sight to the blind. I mean, in other cases, he goes right into a synagogue and he heals a man with a withered hand in front of everybody. Right? In other case, he heals a man who has been crippled for years by the pool, waiting for the waters, believing an angel troubled the waters. In another case, he heals a leper. In another case, he's healing people day and night, especially in Galilee, especially in, in one of the houses of the apostles, possibly people. People waited online, waiting for the waiting for the, the, the Sabbath to come, to end, so that they can go heal their loved ones. It's a, you know, it's a contradictory, basically, but it's not, I think it's done deliberately to catch our attention. To, 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 to give a stark difference because it's impossible. He, he, he heals the, the man, he, you know, um, liberates the man who's been captive by demons and an entire city comes out to hear about it because they know this guy. He's been terrorizing the city for many years, the, 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 the region. It's impossible. It's impossible to keep your faith hidden. It's impossible not to talk about your faith. It's impossible not to talk pe to people about your faith. I mean, you know, the other day I was listening, Dr. Steve Turley was talking about a report in Turley Talks where uh, the Pew Research and some medical people did a research between the mental conditions between liberals and conservatives. Liberals who have no boundaries and don't believe in anything sacred 
uh, 56% of liberal white women are mentally ill because of the, 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 the ideology that they live by, the standards of, of, of the, they, they live by literally mentally destroys you because when you don't believe in anything, you don't believe in anything sacred, you don't believe in, in hope, you believe you don't have families, you don't have children, you don't have God in your life, you are depressed. You are depressed and you're miserable. And the fact that you live in a society, a liberal society, where they don't believe life is sacred, life in the womb is sacred, life of the elderly are not sacred, that you believe that that even having a baby is a virus, that you're that miserable and unhappy, is going to lead you to depression. What are you going to, I mean, come on. I walked through Central Park to go to work, and what did I see? I see people talking, what you think it could be a, could be about their kids is about their dogs and they, they that's a substitute for the emptiness in their lives and they're not happy seeing other people happy they're not happy seeing either other people around their neighborhood so you see the 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 the, the horror of their lives that they're 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 unhappy because they got nothing Nothing. They say conservatives because conservatives believe in a purpose. Life has a purpose and a meaning. The universe has a meaning. God is in control of everything. My life is God. My purpose is to take care of my family, my children. My purpose is to worship God through my life, through my responsibility. I consecrate my work, my job, my trials, my miseries, my, my, uh, the gifts that God has given me, the, the blessings God has given me, uh, the difficulty working with my coworkers, the difficulty with my family, the difficulty with my neighbor, everything has a purpose. I consecrate it all. And throughout the day, you say a little prayer to get through it. And you come back every day to go to the word of God, to go to your rosary to go whatever meditations you've chosen to do and to worship God during the end, of the, the end of the week and to worship him at the beginning of the week. Everything has a purpose and meaning. You're, 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 you being a father, a mother, you being a child, taking care of your parents, working, paying the bills is all sacrifice because Jesus came into the world and he went through the same thing we went through. And that's the important about it because he consecrated humanity in his, he made it his humanity because it's all belongs to him. All right, let's end it here. Um, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, they went out and they spread the word of him throughout all the land, which was what they were supposed to do. All right. So remember, there's a ways to read the Bible. Yes, it's not easy. I'm not saying I'm an expert. I'm not an expert but there's ways to do it. Okay. And there's good ways to do it. All right. Let's end it here with uh, a prayer in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Just to let you know, I know I'm a little late with putting these things, um, these Advent days out. So um, I'll be trying, uh, I'll try to get out uh, both, I think, the Saturday and this was, uh, this is Fridays and Saturday and Sundays out in time. Okay. God bless and thank you.